Today's message is called Jesus Help Me See. Jesus Help Me See. I'm going to read a few verses, uh, Old Testament and New Testament. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. Uh, hopefully it can come on the screens. Profound, profound, profound few verses. Before I get started, let me just say this um, when it comes to, well, especially God's Word, but just generally speaking, when you take a text out of context, you get a pretext. And a pretext can do whatever you want it to do. But the trouble with a pretext is not truth. It may have truth, it may have an element of truth, but it's not truth. The only way to get back to truth is to put the pretext back into context. And the challenge and the damage that can be done so often in our lives is, is that we take a text and we take it out of context. And when you've got a text out of context, literally it can go anywhere. It can take on your personality, it can take on your belief system. It can start to be used for your purposes, not the original author's intentions. We twist it, we manipulate it, we weaponize it. And so much harm and so much damage has been done because of pretexts. And so in life, try to understand, don't live your life taking things out of context context at this moment in time is so much more important because what's the context? We run and we get into situations and we make judgments and we make uh, assumptions and presumptions about lots of things and lots of situations without first establishing, tell me the context, give me the context. You'll never understand people unless you at least seek to try and have some level of context. So it's not just for the Word here, this is just for life. And if you'll allow some context when it comes to people's lives, you'll have a little bit more of an understanding on, oh, now I understand. And one of the things that we're fighting for in our current situation, I believe across all spectrums of life right now is this thing called dialogue. There is a difference between discussion and dialogue. Discussion is, let's talk. We have a discussion. You talk, I talk, you talk, I talk. We're discussing something. Now in that discussion, we could find out that we clearly see things differently. And discussions are not wrong, they're necessary, but discussions don't always build. They actually can go down the wrong road because I'll hold on to what I believe, you'll hold on to what you believe. And guess what? It ends up cancelling not building. Whereas dialogue is very different. Dialogue is, I'm willing to listen to you and try to, through listening, understand how you got there, why you think that way. What is it that you did? What is it you learned? What is it that you know that I don't know, but me listening to you suddenly goes, oh my goodness, I'm learning from you. I do the same, I begin to dialogue back, which is I'm talking, not just discussing. I'm bringing thoughts, I'm bringing story, I'm bringing context, bringing a little bit more to the table. And the other person's going, oh my goodness, 
I'm learning from you. But to do the learning, you've got to do the listening. You won't get understanding without listening. And what happens in this profound moment called dialogue is we both go up. I've learned from you, you've learned from me. Oh my goodness, we've come out of this dialogue bigger and better. I'm just giving you something very simple and yet deeply profound. If we want to be peacemakers in this troubled land, if we want to bring the peace into the mess, you're going to have to learn from Jesus Himself. He knew how to lift people to a higher place. And so I'm going to read to you today about Jesus helps us to see. And I'm not just talking about physical eyesight, though that is part of it. I'm talking about the ability to see Him, to see yourself, and to see others. So I'm gonna read a story. Um, Before I get there, I'm gonna read from Genesis though because it's a profound statement. Hopefully it's not out of context. The Lord took a handful of dusty soil and made a man from it. God breathed life into the man and the man became a living soul and started breathing. We just learned some breathing techniques from Dr. Beck this week. What the heck with Dr. Beck? (laughs) Breathing with Dr. Beck. It was very, very helpful. But God, when He put His Spirit and He created humanity out of the dust of the ground and He He only breathed into mankind. He didn't breathe into all of His creation. And so when we breathe, we breathe in, we breathe out, we're doing something profound. Not just surviving, we're doing something we were actually always meant to do. We're supposed to fill the atmosphere with the praises of God. You breathe in and you breathe out. Now, Jewish scholars, Hebrew scholars, or people who study ancient languages will tell you when you breathe in and when you breathe out, you're declaring the very name of God. Thank you for the wow over there. I bet it was Christine. Acts chapter 14, the message, we don't make God, He makes us. And all of this, sky, earth, sea, and everything in them. That's a very big declaration right there. So let me read you now from the Gospel of John. John's audience was people like us really, ordinary people from all walks of life. John's Gospel comes way later. We probably have Mark's Gospel. We probably have Matthew and, and, and uh, Luke. The, the, it's possible they're often called the synoptic Gospels because you put them side by side and they seem to be very similar. They kind of borrow off each other. There's a lot of debates over which one came first. Most arguments go for Mark is the first Gospel that comes along. But again, why were these letters and books collected for us in the 21st century is because we're so removed from the 2,000 year old person of Jesus physically being on the earth. He died and rose again. He spent time with the believers, the disciples, and then He ascended. The Bible calls it ascension. We celebrate Pentecost 50 days after the resurrection of Christ. But what I'm saying to you is we live today by the Spirit. The church is built through the Spirit of God. We are sustained by the Spirit of God. We are energised by the Spirit of God. We become brand new because of the Spirit of God. We can praise God because of the Spirit of God. We got strength because of the Spirit of God. So the strength of the local church today and for the last 2,000 years has been the Spirit of God. 
I will not leave you as orphans. I will give you what the Father has promised. Do not leave Jerusalem till you get the Holy Spirit. And so we have a, a profound gospel here. John's gospel is one of the gospels that really helps the audience. These are third, possibly fourth generation believers. So they don't know, they didn't see Jesus. They didn't walk with Jesus. They've just heard about Jesus, but they've met Jesus through the Holy Spirit. And John's gospel declares that Jesus is God many times. The seven clear statements of the divinity of who Jesus is. So I'm gonna read this story to you and I'm gonna highlight the characters, the community that's surrounding this story. Is that okay? So we're gonna start at John chapter nine. Walking down the street, Jesus saw a blind man from birth. Most scholars believe that this blind man had no eyeballs in his sockets. His disciples asked, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents, causing him to be born blind? Jesus replied, you're asking the wrong question. You're looking for someone to blame. There's no such cause and effect here. Look instead for what God can do. Look instead for what God can do. I think often of many of us, we get caught up in this situation, that circumstance. Why did that baby have to die? Why did that person have to go? Why did that boat crash happen? Why did that airplane? And we can go down this road so easily in our Western culture. And I love what he says here. He says, look instead to see what God can do. We often can see what the enemy's doing, but can we see what God is doing? I can see the enemy causing strife, confusion, unsettlement, unrest, uncertainty, anxiety. But can you see what God is doing with a younger generation, with an older generation? Can you see God or do you just see the work of the enemy? I'm telling you, Jesus wants to help us see. And so He says, we need to be energetic at the work for the one who has sent me here working while the sun shines. When night falls, the workday is over. For as long as I'm in the world, there is plenty of light. I am the world's light. One of the declarations of His divinity. I am the light of the world. But then He does something very profound. And I'd like to illustrate it for you. And then He spat into the dust. <laughs> it's just an illustration, my dear. He spat into the dust, he made clay paste with the saliva. It's a creaky door, not dust. And he rubbed the paste on to the bland, bland, mind, blind, blind man's eyes. I'd like to illustrate this. Is anyone wanting to volunteer? <laughs> Richard. He said, go and wash into the pool of Salom or Siloam, which means sent. And the man went and washed and he could see. Now it's true that he had no eye sockets. This is a creative miracle. Can you do that? 
We can put glass balls in people's eyes, but can we put a brand new eye in someone's eye? And even with our science and technology and biochemistry and bio uh, uh, dynamics or bio whatever we got going on right now, with all of the incredible slicing of genes and the gene pool and modification and manipulation and everything else, whatever it's called, crisp technology right now, it's profound. But we still can't put brand new eye sockets into a blind man, not 2,000 years ago anyway. So what is going on here? This is again, God at work. What is it you try to do, but you just can't do it? What is it that you try to fix that you just can't fix it? With all your education, with all your money, with all your energy, with all your uniqueness, with all your profoundness, but you still can't create life. We can freeze your genes until 2000 years later when we've eventually got there, but there's no guarantee. We can send billions and trillions to get to Mars to measure the molecules and is there any water, which is an indication of life. We're gonna do everything we possibly can. We have not looked deep enough, but we are pushing ourselves further out. And yet God just wants us to see. What is it you have tried to fix that you can't fix, but you just forgot, let God in? God is the one who can do things that none of us can do. He put two new eyeballs in this man's. He was born blind. There was nothing that was gonna ever help this person. But listen to what's going on. So we've got Jesus who's in this. We've got the blind man who's now got two new eyeballs. But listen to how the story unfolds because community miracles, even though they're amazing, they also cause a big disturbance. So let's not be too careful to say, yay, community miracles, because when God starts putting creative miracles in our lives, it doesn't make everybody happy. It makes also some people not happy because the enemy doesn't want us free. He doesn't want us to see. He doesn't want us to see God breaking through in people's lives. He doesn't want to see us putting water projects around the world. He doesn't want to see you raising the house of God. He doesn't want to see your children in the house. He doesn't want to see you have creative miracles. And so when this turns up, there's a whole lot of activity. And I want to share that with you as we keep reading. Soon the town was buzzing. His neighbours, and those who year after year had seen Him as a blind man begging and saying, they were saying, why isn't this man we knew, uh, sorry, why isn't this the man we knew who sat here and begged? Others said, it's Him all right, but others objected, it's not the same man at all, it just looks like Him. So He gets new eyes, Everybody in the community knows that he's blind. He's a beggar. He's impoverished. He's difficult. And suddenly he gets new eyes. He turns up and everybody's like, it's not him, but it's me. I can see. I don't know. Did he look and say, I always knew you were ugly. Now I know. Or did he say, oh, you had such a kind voice. Now I know. (laughs) I don't know. I mean, use your imagination. What would you do if you couldn't see and suddenly you saw? Look at some of the YouTube clips of children who get earring aids back in and you watch them light up or they have some kind of operation. The medical world is profound at restoring some kind of joy into people's lives. But I'm telling you, nothing beats God at work in the lives of people. What we do temporary, God does eternal. 
What we do temporary, God does eternal. So his neighbours didn't recognise him. They're like, it is him, it's not him, I don't know. And he said, it is me, the very one, they said. Well, how did you, your eyes get opened? A man named Jesus made paste from the dust, rubbed it on my eyes and told me to go to the pool and wash. And I did what he said, I washed and I could see. So where is he? I don't know. So they marched him to the Pharisees. Now we got the Pharisees the religious people of the day. This day, when Jesus made the paste and healed His blindness was the Sabbath. The Pharisees interrogated the man again on how he had come to see. He said, he put a clay paste on my eyes and I washed it and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, obviously this man can't be from God because he doesn't keep the law of the Sabbath. Others contested, how can a bad man do a miraculous God revealing thing like this? They were divided. They came back at the man that was blind. You're the expert. He opened your eyes. What do you say about him? He said, I guess he must be a prophet. The Jewish leaders, now we got Jewish leaders. These are the serious Pharisees. They're another level. Another devil. It's a rhyme, I'm not. If I was a musician or a songwriter, you'd all think it's amazing. But I'm a pastor and now I'm the. The Jewish leaders didn't believe it. They refused to believe the man was blind to begin with. So they could, so they called the parents. Now we got the parents. It's like a kid at school, he's naughty. Call the parents. I've got a great story about my parents being called to school, but I'll talk about it later. (laughs) Called the parents of the man now bright-eyed with sight. They asked them, is this your son, the one you say was born blind? So how is it now that he sees his parents? His parents said, we know he is our son. We know he was born blind, but we don't know how he came to see haven't got a clue about who opened his eyes. Why don't you ask him? He's a grown man, he can speak for himself. (laughs) His parents were talking like this because they were intimidated and fearful of the Jewish leaders who had already decided that anyone who took a stand that that this was the Messiah would be kicked out of the synagogue. That's why his parents said, ask him, he's a grown man. They called the man back a second time and threatened him. Give credit to God, yes, but not to this Jesus. We know this man is an imposter. He replied, I don't know about that. All I know for sure is I was blind, now I see. So what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? How did he open your eyes? How? Did He open your eyes? You notice the how question? Children will always ask why more than how. Adults are the ones that go from a why to a how. How did God create the world in seven days? You're asking the wrong question. Why did He create the world in seven days? The why will always beat the how. 
But we live in such a civilized, educated, we know everything world. How, how, how? How's God going to do it? How's God going to do it? How's God going to do it? Stop asking how and start asking why. Because He loves you. Because you're a child of God. Because He's God. Because He's bigger. Because He's not limited by human wisdom. Why, why, why? Not an annoying why, just a genuine why. Did He heal you? Why did He open your eyes? What's different about you than us? Why didn't He do anything for us? Really, the root of the issue here is they thought they knew God and got nothing from God, but they felt like God owed them everything. And so what was happening here is they weren't happy about what God had done for another person. They were more upset that God had done nothing for them. I wonder how many of us here today, we still have that problem. It's not a how question, it's a why question. But that's what happens when you feel like God owes you. How could this have happened, God? I'm telling you, this is real things going on and it's right here in John's Gospel. I've told you over and over again and you haven't listened. See, there's no dialogue here, just absolutely someone wanting their own way. Why do you want, why do you want to hear it again? Are you so eager to become His disciples too? Oh, I like this guy. He's got a little bit of sass, isn't he? He's got a little bit of, come on, Tabasco sauce. Whatever it is, he has got something going on. But that threw them into a frenzy. Oh, have you ever said something and it's just raised the temperature? I think Beck has a psychological term for this. What's it called? Hyper arousal. I was listening. I was listening. I think they were in hyper arousal right there. Let's send in Dr. Beck. What the heck with Dr. Beck? Sorry, Beck. I, it just, it's stickable. I try to finish because this is a very different way of doing a message, but I hope by the end you'll understand, okay? If I've lost you, come back in five minutes, all right? I've lost myself here. Yeah, so they asked the question on how, and then he says, well, I've told you all of this. And then he just teases them and says, uh, well, you want to be one of his disciples too? So they get into a frenzy. You might be a disciple of that man, but we are disciples of Moses. We know for sure that God spoke to Moses, but we have no idea where this man comes from. The man replied, that is amazing. You claim to know nothing about him, but the fact is he opened my eyes. It's well known that God isn't at the beck and call of sinners, but listens carefully to anyone who, listen, who lives in reverence and does his will. That someone opened the eyes of a man born blind has never been heard of. If this man didn't come from God, he wasn't be able to do anything. They said, you're nothing but dirt. How dare you take that tone with us? Then they threw him out into the street and Jesus heard that they'd thrown him out and went and found him. He asked him, do you believe in the Son of Man? And the man said, point him out to me, sir, so that I can believe in him. Jesus said, you're looking right at him. Don't you recognize my voice? Oh, Master, I do believe. And the man fell before him in reverence. Jesus, help me see. 
And Jesus said, I came into the world to bring everyone into clear light of day, making all the distinctions clear so that those who have never seen will see and those who have made a great ceremony of seeing will be exposed as blind. Some Pharisees overheard him and said, does that mean you're calling us blind? And Jesus said, if you really, if you were really blind, you would be blameless. But since you claim to see everything so well, you're accountable for every fault and failure. So Jesus makes a really bold statement here and he says, I am the light of the world. While I'm here, the world will have light. And I don't know what it is that you use to get you to see, but I'm telling you, some people have glasses, some people turn on the light, some people have got um, contact lenses, but I'm not talking about them things. I'm talking about your ability to see God at work in your life. Some people are just easy to see the negativity, the problems. So I wanna get just an illustration, if people could come up here. I wanna get, I'm gonna play Jesus, is that okay? I know, but someone has to. I'm gonna get the blind man, Richard, come up here. I wasn't joking, Richard. Um, you put shorts on today, so everyone's gonna see your legs. I'm the barbecue person today. So oh, you're barbecue. No. But what's that got to do with your legs though? Nothing, but I felt fresh. I, I didn't look at your legs, but now I'm looking. But what I'm trying to say is I wouldn't have got you up here if I'd have known, but you're up here now, so it's too much. All right, Jules, come up here. And everyone on the front row, you can come up. And Connie can come up. No man coming up apart from Richard and his legs. Why don't you come up? Is that okay? Would you be all right? You don't have to. I mean, you can. Okay. So we've got the blind man. Come over here, blind man. All right. He's got no eyes, no eye sockets. Nice legs, but no eyes. Okay, we've got the disciples. Connie, you can stand next to the blind man and you're representing the disciples, okay? And then you've got uh, the neighbors. You can, the neighbors. Who loves their neighbors? And we got the parents. Oh my goodness, the parents. We can't forget the parents. And then we got the Pharisees. We got the Pharisees. It's just an illustration. And we need the Jewish leaders. I need one more person, one more person, one more person. Come up, come up. You're a really nice person, so it's not good to use you. Come and just pretend Jewish leaders. All right, now what I need you to know, and I'm trying to finish here, okay? So forgive me if, you, if I've lost you somewhere, but I'm trying to let you understand Jesus can and will help us to see. And not just see today, but tomorrow, the future and eternity and to see the gold in people to see the best in each other and to see the best when not it's easy to see the worst you need Jesus to see clearly you could call this message put your Jesus glasses on and keep them on but let me tell you this man it wasn't about what his parents had done wrong. It wasn't about genealogy curses or my father was a Freemason or my mother was a witch or this or that. That's where we always lose it. We want to blame someone. We want to put it somewhere. And Jesus just said, this is not about his parents. This is not about him. This is about God. And some things you will never change in this world until you go, let God be God. And everything changes because you'll see everything the way He sees it. Some things you will never change 
And there's some things that you should change, but let God show you how to change it. I can't change my family, but I let God change me. And then my love from God came through me towards my family and it set me free with my father. You can't change some things in your own strength. You've got to realise you need God. His story, this blind man, was not about his past, his present, his genealogy. He just needed to see. So he represents... Let me say it this way. He represents humanity that cannot see, but encounters the love and the grace of God. When you encounter the grace and love of God, it will help you see. And he could see, he isn't complicated about it. I don't know why you're asking me these 15 million questions. I was blind and I was see. Well, have you been to Bible college? Oh my goodness, will you leave me alone? I was blind, I can see. Well, how long have you been going to church? Oh my goodness, you're annoying me now. I was blind and now I see. Well, how many books of the Bible have you read? Oh my goodness. I was blind and now I see. We get too complicated. There's a moment where you're blind and there's a split nanosecond where you can suddenly see and it's the work of God. And none of us can manipulate that. And that's what happens in his life. (laughs) Go to the pool and have a wash. But what happens in the disciples? The disciples, they couldn't see. They couldn't see because they didn't really understand. They were looking for a reason. They were analyzing and blaming. Hello? How many of us just spend our time analyzing and blaming because we actually can't see God at work? Thank you for that amazing response. But the disciples, God didn't give up on them. And that's good news for everyone in this room. God's not giving up on us. But let me say, are you going to stay analysing everything? Or are you going to start blaming everyone? Blaming this, blaming that? I think at the end of the day, whatever the disciples represent in this story, it just shows you that we need God for us to fully understand and see. The other parents, the neighbours, the neighbours, they staggered and they struggled to see, uh, maybe because they were too familiar. In other words, the neighbours knew the guy, but when he turned up a different person, they were like, well, is it, isn't it? The neighbours were like, there was no expectation on miracles. There was no expectation on community miracles. There was no expectation that God's gonna do something new. God's gonna do something profound. So in other words, the neighbours just represented familiarity. Maybe you don't see any miracles in your life because you're just too familiar. Maybe you just don't have any expectations. Why don't you stir up your spirit again and say, I want to see, help me see, help me see. What's the point of having a community of faith, believing church, going Christian people and there's zero expectation? It makes no sense to me. But I love this because even though the neighbours were there, God was still at work. Listen to me. Even if your neighbours can't see it, God is still at work. And then we've got who? We've got the parents. I love the parents. He's an adult now. Talk to him. (laughs) It's like we've given up our responsibilities a long time ago. But what I am saying is the parents actually were intimidated. They were threatened. They were fearful because the fear of the religion back then with the synagogues is if you weren't a part of this, you had nothing. So there's such a deep 
fear going on in the parents. How many parents still parent with fear? They still parent with fear. When they're babies, we're fearful. They're toddlers, we're fearful. They're a little bit older, we're fearful. Now they're going to school, oh my goodness, we're fearful. One way to get your prayer life back, have kids. Because you'll never stop praying for them till you go to be with Jesus. That's your full-time job. When you bring parent children into the earth, they're a gift from the Lord, now you're commissioned to pray. <laughs> work with me and we will work together. Amen. But the parents were scared. And it's so sad they couldn't see what God had done in their son. When I came a Christian at 23, my parents couldn't see what God had done. I remember an ex-girlfriend literally having a conversation with my mom on the phone one day and there was like, Mark is no longer Mark. It looks the same, but it's not the same Mark. I thought, wow, what a great compliment. Thank you, Joyce. Anyway, we get onto the next group of people. I'm trying to finish here, Pharisees. They couldn't see what God was doing because all they could see was the law was broken. God had to fit into, listen, God had to fit into our way of doing things. And unfortunately, all they could see is the Sabbath has been broken. And I'll tell you, it's a sad place when you can't see what God is doing. And don't ever think that we can put God into our little personal cultural boxes. He doesn't listen to our narratives. We lift ourselves up to His narrative, amen. Don't make a big God small because we bring Him down to our size. No, God lifts us up to where He is. And I pray that this spirit will never be in you or it'll be in us, amen. Don't shrink God into a box. It's got to be done this way, amen. God can do whatever He wants but he works through the person of Jesus. And so they couldn't see what God was doing in this profound man's life. And then you've got the religious leaders, which were the high level. These are the guys that basically dictated everything. And I wanna read this to you because they refused to see, they refused to see because they refused to believe. This is speaking of hardness. There are people that just get so hard that they can never see. Hardness will always limit your ability to see the goodness of God in people's lives and in your own life. Why would God do this for someone else and not me? The spirit of the religious leaders was, God, you owe me. How dare you do it for him when he's just a beggar? I've been serving you as a religious leader in this community for 50 years and you've never done that for me. In fact, it could be deeper. I lost my child or I lost my children. You don't know what's going on here, but let me tell you, you don't get hard because you're casual. You get hard because of tragedy. You get hard because of loss. You get hard because of pain. You get hard and bitter and it rose into a root of bitterness where it just literally blinds you to anything that God is doing. And let me tell you, our Western culture is literally driven blind through a root of bitterness. You can't have a 20th century where millions of people are slaughtered. You can't have our current climax and our current situations. You can't have the human story and think that trauma has not played its part in our current moments. Connect the dots. The only one who can heal us from trauma, the only one who can heal our soul, the only one who can lift us out of the miry clay is Jesus. Help me see. 
And that's exactly what He did with this guy. And so this is not anti-religion, anti-medicine, anti-doctors. It's nothing to do with that. It's understanding human behaviour. And God steps up, He says, I'm the light of the world. While I'm here, you can see. And it's amazing that people, even with the light, refuse. And that is something you and I have to come to terms with. And it's not pleasant. Don't believe the universalism lie that all people get there in the end, that everybody gets there in the end. If that's true, then why did Jesus have to die? The truth is there is something to win and there is something to lose. And He said, while I'm in the world, while I was light, I want to help you see.